0: Welcome to The Dive Table. For today's episode, we're bringing something that we normally don't do. I just finished teaching a UTD Essentials class over the last four days with a couple of students, and they wanted to take the podcast over for this week. So we hit record on the phone, stuck it on the table over dinner, and had a great conversation. So enjoy today's episode, and if you're interested in taking a course like this or learning more about how you can become a better diver, reach out to me, J-A-Y, at thedivetable.com enjoy the episode a podcast
1: for scuba divers everywhere take your seat at the dive table with your host
0: Jay Gardner you never know what will come out of our mouths (laughs) well okay hey there we go let's see if this is a good test testing one too looks like it's working welcome to the dive table Uh, if you notice this is not the normal recording uh, but we are here on location just finished up an essentials of recreational diving with UTD for the last four days and we are sitting here with two amazing gentlemen brothers extraordinaire Paul and Steve Cook and we just finished up eating a nice dinner here at King's nice fish dinner had a blast And we thought it'd be cool to throw on the recording. So, apologies for any background noise or restaurant noise or honks or whatever you might hear. But we're on location and wanted to capture this. So, hey, Paul. Hey, Steve. How are you doing? Let's introduce yourself. How are you? Who are you? Where are you from?
2: Okay. Well. You wouldn't. Uh, you can't see this on the podcast, but right now I'm signaling to my brother that I am the captain uh, currently. <laughs> One of the things we learn in the Essentials class is to be clear on who's the captain and who's not the captain of any particular activity. I started diving in 1978. Got an open water certification with uh, Maui, and then in 80, 1985 did open water with Patty. Did some diving um, with my wife, and then we had kids. We really didn't dive for about 25 years, probably 20 years. In the last five years we started diving a lot more, typically dive trips. You know, go to Fiji, go to Bonaire, go to the Caymans, things like that. And, you know, a, you know, a decent recreational diver, but uh, wanted to learn some new things and learn how to get better at the basic thing. And with that, I'm turning the captaincy over to Paul. <laughs>
1: I'm Paul, uh, I learned to dive in a Nawi class back in the 1990s in Texas and uh, uh, went on a couple of diving trips, enjoyed them greatly and then ended up moving actually, having a child who's now uh, all grown up and working on Capitol Hill. Did you have a child or did your wife? I had the child. Explains a a lot. You're a miracle of some sort of science.
2: (laughs) The sun sun is a miracle of science.
1: That's right. My uterus works. And like my brothers, you know, eventually uh, the diving came to a halt because as anyone who has kids knows, it becomes really difficult to manage time. Plus uh, work. Now that my son has grown up, gone off, my wife and I have started diving again. Uh, we've enjoyed every dive that we've had, but there was really something lacking. And uh, one of the things that I really felt like I needed to do, having gone on a series of dive trips and watched uh, what I previously described to my little team here as uh, jumping into a writhing mass of divers in the water, <laughs> is that I need to, I, I've got some work to do myself. And I really feel like I need to be a more stable and controlled by And not only that, to be more confident with the basics. I think the more confident a person is with the basics, the safer they are. And that really led us to an exploration of, actually, you know, honestly, maybe three or four different paths we could take for our training. And we looked at these uh, different individuals, uh, both individuals as well as organizations. And it really comes down to, I think, two things, the philosophy of the education that you can get in diving. I think that that is incredibly important. (coughs) The second thing is, and maybe even more important than the philosophy, is the actual instructor themselves. Mm -hmm. So We actually got really kind of at a stumbling block. We were like, well, you know, we're not quite sure about this guy, we're not quite sure about that guy, or this philosophy, or that philosophy. Having uh, seen or been through Patty classes and NAWI classes, and- I don't think Jay wants
2: us to mention other agencies. No, wanted, you say know, whatever wanted, you want. We wanted Go to
1: ahead. find something new, other than sort of the rote, basic, resort, recreational sure. kind of courses where, you know, a wedding party, as my brother would say, a bridal party is, you know, 15 people go off to learn to dive. They dive three times or they dive five times and then that's kind of it.
0: Yeah.
1: And, you know, there are some agencies that are really good for training some really basic things so that people can be safe in the water a few times. But here we are diving a lot more than I ever thought I would, enjoying it more than I thought I would, and clearly feeling like there's got to be a safer way and a smarter way to do it. I mean that is a long way of saying, we found Jay. So, yeah, and has worked out. I would say
2: it's not so much that we were, that we felt like as though we were not safe divers at all. I mean, I think we were actually pretty good in the water and Paul kind of undersells himself here. But I really wanted to do more of a sort of first aid rescue kind of classes and Paul wanted to do more of getting a wreck diving certificate, a deep diving certificate. And so we, we kind of settled on maybe we should really do more of a basics class. It's always it's a basics refresher, like things we should have known. But we never really knew so then we were looking around and we uh Paul, well talk about podcasts Paul had been looking to a different podcast the great dive podcast and Shout out
0: James and Brando. Yep. James and Brando.
2: Two guys in a Old having Jamesy. a conversation in, in a bar about diving. It's a, it's a good podcast. Paul's listened to all those episodes, but I looked up the background of those guys, and James Mott is a UTD instructor, so I'd never heard of that. So I looked at UBT, UTD, sorry, actually wrote Jeff Seckendorf, the CEO, an email and said, hey, we're interested in doing your class. Who can you set us up with? And he wrote back and said, We don't have anybody in Colorado, which I said, thank goodness. <laughs> um, but we do have this guy in San Diego, Jay Gardner, and that's where Paul lives, so we Paul Jay and we interviewed him a couple times and decided that uh, you know he was the right guy and essentials is the right class and that kind of leads us to the
1: last four days. Yeah good and I'm glad you're here. And uh, as an added note, I have not revealed this to anyone here. Oh,
0: big reveal. Here's the, let's see if the drum roll works here.
1: I went through the the curriculum and I had this idea in the back of my mind that, man, this is going to be really basic, really worried that, you know, maybe we are farther along than I thought. And I don't know how this is going to work. I had this little concern in the back of my mind. It turns out that I was definitely not as far along as I thought I was. Actually, Jay did a good job of tuning what we're doing to where we are and I think it's a big plus that there's an instructor who can kind of evaluate and, and talk to us and say what have you done how many dives you've been on where you've been diving what kind of diving you've done and, and on top of that he said hey you guys are going to Fiji why don't you take some video go down there take some video uh, you know get I don't know four or five six minutes or whatever it is that he's scooting around and doing stuff and send it to me and
2: he'll evaluate it he'll evaluate it and
1: that that gives him uh to help us get started with our training and as it turned out my little worry about you is this can be really too basic turned out to be like we are right on we were right on target and i think part of it was that jay tuned it to what we needed not so much that we were getting forced uh into here's your class we're going to go through a through z you know once you get through z you get a pass and so for
2: jay's listeners why don't why don't uh, you tell them how how many dives approximately have you done so they get an idea of our experience
1: Probably. I mean, like 130, maybe. Mm-hmm. And around the same place. 140 before we started doing it. So it's not
2: as though we haven't been diving for a while. We're not the kind of divers who kick people's masks off. Yeah, but, yes. but clearly there was a lot we could learn in terms of personal skills. Yeah. Let's turn it back to Jay. It's his podcast and maybe he's got a
1: question.
0: No, I just this want to hear you guys. This podcast. might be even on the UTD podcast, podcast. I don't know. We had, we had this we debate earlier sponsors?
1: about <laughs> were we teabagging? Oh, goodness gracious. Uh, Steve. Let's, just,
2: let's, just, let's he, define he, what teabagging is. He,
1: teabagging yeah,
2: Teabagging is when you're trying to get a certain number of dives for some other, you know, as a prerequisite for something else. And so what you do is you go out and you... Go down to 20 or 30 feet for the very minimum time and you go back up to the surface and then go back down again so that your computer shows all these dives. So, you know, during the training, we would we would use two tanks in a day. But we would go out, swam off the La Jolla shores, we would do some exercise for 30 minutes We would, at 30 feet or, or 20 feet, really, and we would come back up, we would talk about it, we would go back down, do it, come back up, go back down, and then, you know, do something else and then head to shore. So we so, know, yeah. ended up with a high number of
1: dives and Paul and I are still arguing about whether... Each one of those things is a dive and whether each tank of air is a dive. Yep, so my philosophy is any dive that is experiential and okay. learning yeah. counts as a dive. Okay. E- even if it's 15 minutes and you've, you know, you've done your uh, SMB deploy and you've done it right and you descended uh, or you brought the SMB back down and, and cleaned it out and put it away. And if that's all that dive was and you've done it right, then you've done a dive. You're counting it. okay. Yeah, well. now if I go down and I you know and I and I roll over on my back and act like a turtle and, <laughs> and then float to the surface, that's not a dive because you didn't do anything. But we actually had on this, because I counted them on my computer, 13 experiential dives, and I think that's a, a testament to not, wait, wait, wait. not just going down and having two dives a day and, yeah. and then having a brief, but we had really, like yesterday, we must have done I don't know what four dives yesterday and I call them four dives because we would do the activity we'd come up on the surface we'd have a debate or a talk maybe a little words were shared back and forth (laughs) all good and then we went back down and when we went back down you know Steve and I cleaned up our act where we needed to clean up and where we needed to sharpen up and actually it turned out to be a very positive experience
2: good and I I will say that before we started this Paul mentioned this to Jay that he did these 13 dives 13 right yeah and that uh, of the 12 of them we got a lot out of them there was one we didn't get so much out of so if we were going to Ray J we would say that uh, twelve went well out of thirteen and <laughs> it was his fault that, we, <laughs> <laughs> that That we didn't understand what we were supposed to be doing on the other
0: one. To. I don't know
1: if that's <laughs> Jay's fault or you know, we're just knuckleheads. Yeah,
0: You got, got a firm talking to on the surface of that day. Yeah. No. Well,
1: no, good. it's good. It's good. You got it. you I mean you know, you, you got to sense the people you're with and, and who your divers are and what, and who, what they're like. And, you know, if, if you can give a start in talking to somebody, and they sometimes it's just better to say it and, yeah. so, and be straight because no one wants to be <clears throat> bs So, Paul, you know.
2: I think our listeners want to know. In, uh, Wait,
1: now they're your listeners. Did you, you catch said that? We, <laughs>
0: our listeners want to know. I love you it. You said <laughs> it's your podcast. podcast. Absolutely. So we
2: had to get our own
1: sponsors. <laughs> I love it so paul what would you say king's fish house is our sponsor <laughs> no,
0: dude, except you just paid them for dinner that was, so you know, that's right such a great sponsor what was
2: your favorite personal skill to work on here? great great try to, try to keep it brief
1: i cannot i cannot actually say that there was one favorite mm. i gotta say you know anything where i'm doing something kind of really active and new practicing the s is a lot of fun just because you know if, if i need a boat i know i can go get a boat and if i if i need i you know to to get up to the surface i know that i can get to the surface i think that was probably a lot of fun but you know honestly the the thing that Caught my eye uh, because you can't see it because this is a podcast. But there, Jay does this video. Everything is video. Not everything, almost everything. Does All it, important things. It are It does take a lot of videos, and we watch them in the evening. Yeah, we watch them in the evenings. And I was flying like Superman on the bottom of La Jolla Shores. Yes, I mean, I know. was, I was six inches off. Oh, less time, probably four inches. Yeah, my, yeah, my, uh, your my, trim uh,
2: was good. Your buoyancy was good. Yeah, the
1: finning techniques. Were yeah, so. um, um, yeah, my pressure gauge w- wasn't even touching and oh, the grain of sand. I looked awesome. And in the video, I didn't really in the video but you know I didn't actually feel it at the time that
0: I looked that good, but looking back on it, I you think that, realize, that was another really good... You do realize that
2: he took about two
0: hours of video and he only showed you yeah, but that was But for context, that was day three, right? That's right. true. It, and it took a while. I put out a diver missing alert because I, I showed a video and I said, does anyone recognize this diver? Because I think we're missing Paul. Look at this diver who's holding buoyancy within six inches, cruising like Superman. That's not Paul. It can't be Paul. Yeah. So beautiful. I, I would say, too, that's a... It's a testament to the work you put in to improve in that p- short period of time that you were. Yeah, you look great. It was, yeah. it was, it was it, but more importantly than looking great, which is wonderful for your Instagram following that you guys are building now on your podcast. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, but the even better than that, podcast. the uh, <laughs> the leap and bound in terms of what, what I'm looking for as an instructor is, is is the concept and the tools of buoyancy control sinking in, and in that video that I took of you without you knowing I was taking that video kind of off to the side it was showing me hey that that program those tools the concept of buoyancy breathing for buoyancy right is completely at play and that's what I was trying to show you not that you look great but you did but that the program was running and that's where I got excited because yeah okay this is good now we're going to task that, we're going to shoot it back, or we're going to, you know, do an estrill, or we're going to do whatever we're going to work on. And then that program starts to run away from us a little bit. But in that moment, on that dive, boom, dialed in. And I would say that continued. So, again, so hats off to these guys. So
2: let's just assume for the moment that our listeners here <laughs> don't really know what an Essentials class is. Yeah. I mean, some of them will, and some of them are too advanced to take an Essentials class, but yeah. some, of them, some of them don't, and hopefully they'll be the kind of people who call you.
1: Well, to be honest with you, uh-huh. I, when we looked, and I said, Essentials. I thought, oh man, I'm gonna have to go back through dive theory, aren't I? And and I'm gonna have to go back, you know, learn how to breathe underwater. I'm gonna have to take my mask off again. I thought, Ooh, that's 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 a lot of essentials. I, I've been diving. I've got over a hundred dives. Yeah. I, I know how to take my mask off. I was in Fiji. I took my mask off because my face itched. It didn't yeah. bother me one bit. And I put the thing back on and, and just kept cruising. Yeah. But um, actually, you know, is it, really this, is a, this is a this a really good class for building confidence because you get challenged to do things well, that you wouldn't Paul, ordinarily Paul, let's do. Let's describe what the class is.
0: Yeah. In your words, what is well? I mean, let's, let, let, let's you know, let's
1: describe
2: essentials. So essentials, as it was presented to us, as we've done it, is a four-day class where we've actually had Jay with us for 10 to 12 hours a day. So the first day, we were actually at his house. He has a pool and he has a workshop and he has a couch in his workshop. So it's like a (laughs) scuba cave um, with an open door. Mermaids and all. Mermaids and all, right. So, we covered a you know a lot of different we covered equipment things, we covered some theoretical things in the morning, then we had lunch, and then we got in the pool and we practiced buoyancy and our finning. So different kinds of kicks. So if you ever go on a dive trip and you see somebody who looks like they're just hanging in the water like a like a skydiver that's a person who's in the right kind of trim. And if they're moving along without hardly moving, that's where you want to get. So that's what we started to practice. And to use a different kind of transportation analogy, it was largely a train wreck. I mean, Paul was better than I was, but I could not stay at the same buoyancy without running into the side of the pool. But it was good practice. So then the next day, day two, we went to La Jolla Shores, which is right down here in San Diego, a beautiful place to do this kind of class. And I would say that we, again, we probably spent from 8 o'clock to about 11 o'clock going we through equipment, talking about more theory, more practice, laying out the dive, what the plan was. Then we put on our gear, we trooped over to the beach and out into the water. We went out, swam out a couple hundred yards because that's about 20 feet deep out there. And then we went down, we did some drills, we went back up, talked, went down, went up. Down, up, down, and then we swam back in, had lunch, talked more, changed tanks, went back out, did more of the same, came back in, recapped it a little bit, cleaned everything up, and then we headed out to dinner. We were probably at dinner till 8 o'clock, yeah. and we did dinner the first night as well, so I think the first night, we kept you from your family until 8, I think, the second night till 7, and then again, 7 o'clock last night. Day three was a repetition of day two in terms of the sort of time management aspect of what we did. And then today was again the same thing. And here we are at almost six, yeah. Almost six o'clock. So it's another 10 hours today. And that's so If you're going to do an essentials class, that's what that is like. It's, you know, we uh, had a Zoom call where we talked about a bunch of things. We had a Zoom call where we talked about equipment. And we had a Zoom call about kind of our expectations of the class and everything in advance. And, you know, it does appear, Jay, and maybe you can address this for our listening population, <laughs> that, you know, when you look at the essentials class, because I don't think the website is particularly good, and I've made this point a couple of times, but one of the things it looks like is that UTD has got a very specific way they want you to be geared up. And, of course, Paul doesn't have his own gear, so he had to borrow from Jay, but I've got my own gear, and it's not what UTD has as their sort of standard kit. And I didn't really want to, I didn't want to have to buy gear. In order to do this class, I've already got one own setup. Now maybe it's not the right setup, maybe it's not as good a setup. But you know, Jay took a look at it. He's like, "Well, you know, we can work with that." And so, you know, that worked out well because if this if a prerequisite had been, you got to buy a whole equipment to do this class, that was going to be a non-starter. Yeah, yeah. So, Jay, I would think that maybe you want to take a minute and address that because that was one of the things that Paul and I were concerned about when we were looking yeah, at the yeah. website, which wasn't terribly clear on this point. Yeah. You know, and if it's going to a class is going to cause somebody to spend six hundred bucks on equipment, that's a huge lift. Sure. Yeah.
0: No, that's a great question. So, I um, I think, and then I want to come back and ask you now what your opinion is. So we, we had the Zoom call. We talked about equipment, and and I gave you my opinion. I said I think there's equipment that's going to help you accomplish what you're trying to accomplish in this class, and then, but we can make anything work, right? But the one requirement was we need to switch over to a long hose. you're not going to be able to do an S drill you're not going to be able to do basic 6 number 4 certain things without a long hose we need to switch that over right and just let me interrupt it
2: turns out that Jay has in his shop tons of hoses so we were able to take my regulator set and change out my regulator for a short hose with a necklace yep. and a long hose. Yep. You know, at, at no additional cost. And it was actually good. I'd never been able you know yeah, for everyone else it costs extra. For, for everyone else it yeah. costs extra. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you didn't charge me, you can gonna charge them double. That's right. <laughs> but you know, you know most most people don't service their own regulators and I've never serviced mine, but I was never gonna take a wrench to mine to change out the hose. And Jay showed just how easy that was. And so you know, that first day with the equipment that was actually very educational because we went through and took of some equipment that would surprisingly easy to take apart and switch off. Yeah.
0: I'm sorry, Jay. back to your uh, equipment. Yeah, equipment. So obviously the, the type of diving that, that I do in, in UTD, we, we are coming from, we're born out of the DIR philosophy, which we, we learned many lessons, which I think. Which means do it right. For doing it ways. right, yeah, exactly. So in that philosophy, we want a consistent, across the team, gear configuration. And there are reasons, as we went through extensively, as to why we configure our gear in a certain way, why we use certain pieces of gear. It's not... The brand of the gear, like we only use you know X brand, but it's the way that we, we care less what brand it is. But that we use a backplate, a wing, a long hose, a necklace, right? We route things a certain way, so on and so forth. And so, yes, that we do we prefer you, like you know, Paul, we, we built you a kit pretty quick, uh, and rented it out, right? But for you, you, you were pretty adamant, I want to use my my BCD. The well, sure, style, I mean, just,
2: I just spent Twelve hundred bucks a year ago on a regulator and PCD. I didn't yeah.
0: want to have to spend another six hundred bucks right. just to take this. Class. Or rent gear when you already have it. Yeah, so I mean, it turns out nobody be rent tur- Turns out we're working on that in But uh, you know, and, and so I said, yeah, you know, here's here's what we'll, that we'll do, and here's the absolute minimum that we're gonna have to change over. Period. Like if you if you're not willing to put a seven foot hose on your regulator, like then then yeah, it's a non-starter. We're not, it's not gonna work. But there was no cost to putting that on because Jay had it and we swapped it out in five swap, minutes. No, we did four minutes. And if there was a cost, of 50 bucks, 60 bucks for your house, but we didn't have to do that. I think uh, that, because again, like you can do it in anything, but there's gear, I think I'm going to ask you if you learn this or not, but that is working for you. And there's gear that's kind of working against you when you're trying to accomplish some of this stuff. And so um, throughout the course, I think, you know, the, the goal is not to baptize you in the way of exactly the way that we can figure here. But to introduce you and, and help you understand why we do what we do. Sure. Not this is what you have to do because otherwise you're not a diver like me. It's here's why that's configured. And we had I mean we had a great lesson today when we were doing a toxic diver recovery. So part of that that uh, you know it's not a drill but it is a drill because we're practicing how to do it. Part of that procedure is to. <clears throat> take control regulator. Why don't
2: we let Paul explain? Yeah, let's get away on the
0: doc, doxing diver. So consistent gear. We had a and lesson how, today. And now we almost sent me to the hyperbaric chamber. <laughs> well,
1: sent us both to the
2: hyperbaric chamber.
1: <laughs> Actually, I think our ascent was pretty decent. Honestly, S- we weren't straight we weren't, up. We didn't take any deviations. We weren't that deep. <laughs> no, we were not. But, uh, and that's purposeful. By so way. I, I am diving just to set this up. Steve is diving a Zeagle thing. <laughs> okay. thing. It's the it's, th- not, it's not I, I a jacket. Know. It's a back inflate. A back inflate,
0: inflate jacket. Jacket. Jacket uh, with whatever. the cummerbund. Back inflate. Yeah, it's actually it's
1: pretty. Like, it's a pretty nice thing. But what it's got is this uh, power inflator that's got three buttons on it because the power inflator is also at the same time a backup regulator. If
2: well, main... and just to be clear, that, that power inflator is actually atomic because that's my regulator setup. But if you're if our listeners um, are familiar with Scuba Pro or Scuba Pro wants to be a sponsor here, it's similar to their S one
0: or Air 2. Air, Air, two sorry, Air 2, i Air
1: 2. Atomic is the S1. So, Steve here is diving this complicated rig, and it's a complicated rig. So, I'm diving a rig that Jay sat down on his garage floor with me and built in front of my very eyes <laughs> from a piece of metal with a bunch of holes into it mm-hmm. and with uh, some webbing and uh, some little doodads. And before you know it, we've got this uh, backplate and wing that if you put it together, maybe it's 300 bucks, back clip and wing, mm-hmm. not the regulator. And uh, put it together in, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes max. Prof- professionally done. Professionally done. You know, we, we sized it, put it on me, adjusted it, the whole thing. And my wing, which is another term for buoyancy compensating device, uh, has two buttons on it. It's got the inflator and then it's got the deflator. So in the toxin diver exercise, one diver starts shaking in the water as if they're having oxygen toxicity. The other that, diver... That was me. Well, I, you know, we went back and forth, so I talked at one point point, he tox. So when he toxed, my brother toxed, I climb on his back, I shove the regulator in his mouth. It's actually in his mouth, so I'm holding it in his mouth. He's breathing fine. He's probably wondering if he has teeth when he's all done with
0: it, because I <laughs> think know, I'm holding is, it
1: pretty tight. That is true. <laughs> so I'm holding it pretty That's tight because I wasn't sure if he was going to try to... I, don't know. I actually don't know what it would be like to try to, to deal with this. Yeah. I don't know if a person's going to be trying to spit and yank that thing that out of their be. mouth. Back, back you know, to, that's a power inflator problem. So yeah, I'm holding this in his mouth and I reach underneath his left arm yeah. and I grab the power inflator and there's these three buttons. And I'm like, well, what the hell? You know Which, which, which button does what? And, so and just, I just looked to be at clear, this. Which button were you trying to So press I'm on? trying at the very beginning of this toxin diver is to hit the power and flight on because Steve is below me and I'm behind him and above him. And you're trying to make yourself negative and, and make me positive. But sure. my first my first task because I felt negative already was you know I assessed my immediate situation. I I don't know why I didn't think about this beforehand. I thought, oh, am I neutral? Am I you know heavy or am I light? And I figured, well, I'm probably heavy, because that's the way I always am. So I actually went to inflate. So I hit what I thought was the inflate button. And sure enough, I bet it, I, I guess it inflated it. And then I thought, well, there's other two buttons. Which button is actually the one that I should be hitting? <laughs> so then I tried to hit the second button, thinking maybe the first button wasn't working. And that was the deflate. I thought, well, damn, this isn't really working. I'm pressing down and, in the sand. 20 feet. Uh, he wasn't in the sand. He I was. Well, maybe his knees. <laughs> so then I thought, well, nope. This got to be the third button. So I hit the third button, and that's the uh, purge button on, oh, yeah. on the backup regulator. Yeah. So it's in the bubbles. Uh, so I, then I went back to the small button, figuring, well, a small button is like the small button that I've seen on almost all other power inflators. And
2: Meanwhile, my teeth are being rearranged. During <laughs> teeth are
1: being rearranged, and we're floating to the surface because... Whoa,
2: whoa, 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 whoa. For anybody who's seen the movie The Hunt for Red October, in one of the climactic scenes, <laughs> they're trying to get one sub in front of the other sub, and they say to the guy, put us on the roof. I, that's what happened.
1: <laughs> I safely took my brother, who was a toxic diver, to the surface. Yes. I just and, want to point that uh, then, on my
2: Shearwater watch, the little the little arrows for ascent were in the red.
1: <laughs> That's fine. Not just fine. because they're in the red doesn't mean that we are in trouble, as, <laughs> as I have discovered. But probably the real learning uh, activity was, yeah, what maybe it wasn't pretty, but the equipment issue is an issue. You know, if you're not familiar with the person that you're diving with, um, you should be familiar with their equipment every single time, because when it comes to an emergency it's their equipment that is going to be your first, probably your first concern along with your, your your diver buddy. And then your own equipment, which you probably already know because you've been using it. But if you if you have mixed equipment, be concerned about that when you start. So I think one of the nice, beautiful things that people get when you dive around the world, you go on a resort dive or boat dive or whatever it is you're doing, people are typically renting you the same equipment. So what you are putting on everybody around you is putting on Mm. and the people that you're diving with are putting on and you're probably okay but as it turns out the actual world of diving there's a huge variety of equipment. Oh, yeah. well
2: we and must, that yeah, huge We must have seen 200 people in different setups down at yeah, the Yeah, so charts.
1: people kind of stumbled by and I'm looking at them thinking, oh man, I wonder, you know, if I had to save him, what the hell would I do? Yeah. You know, because I don't know anything about, you know, the way they've organized it. Yeah, yeah, People yeah. are stumbling by with side mounts and... Well, all, weird all, side mounts. not, not yeah, right. all, yeah, yeah, all sorts yeah, of yeah, stuff. But
2: I think the bottom line here is we made a mistake in not, or at least I made a mistake, in not making sure that you understood how to use my
1: equipment. I made a mistake in, in knowing me. that it was different. And not Checking. from the very get-go and not really knowing how to use your equipment. And now and now back to Jay, who is trying to make the point that one
2: of the things UTD tries to do is have consistent equipment so that when you're diving with people, yes, you have to check, but you're also innately familiar with it because everybody's got the same setup.
1: Yeah, if anybody's been in the military who listens to this dive podcast, you will understand exactly what this is. Battalion, mm-hmm. it goes off to a combat zone and they load up their Humvees and every Humvee is loaded exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. If someone else's Humvee gets hit, you know exactly where the uh, first aid equipment is, you know where the water is, you know where the radio is, you know how the radio is set, you know how to communicate, you know where people sit, you know what what to look for. Sure. So that in any given emergency, everything is exactly the same. And there is a huge value to this because actually diving is, while diving is recreational, there is a component to it just for safety that, uh, you know, you are in kind of a, dangerous environment. You can't just take the regulator out of your mouth and and breathe water and live. So you have to put yourself in that place and say, you know, I could have an emergency at any moment. You know, do I really know where where my dive partner's, my dive team's equipment is? Do I know how to use it? And if you don't, you're seriously compromised. You know, I'm driving my brother into the dirt, well, sand. And then we're rocketing up like a like a missile. Yeah. See,
0: rocketing up like a missile. Wow. Tickets to the what was it? Put, put us on the roof. Put us on the roof. Have I like that. Have you guys seen that movie? I have, put but I don't on. remember that like that phrase. That's a good one. It is. All right. So back to Jay. No, I mean I think you said it perfectly well. I mean I think I think the point, you know, it's that I see it a lot for myself. Of well, I like it this way. You know, I'm gonna put this over here, I'm gonna, and yeah, that's all well and good when everything's going well. But when you have a situation where exactly like, you know, even in the training where we don't have a standard gear configuration or we don't have an understanding of that, that's when it becomes really, really taxing to try and figure all that stuff out in that moment. It's not like the first time you've seen, he's had this for a year, you've dealt with him for the last year, you've seen his rig, but it was the first time you needed to manipulate it. So I think it just kind of drives home the point that it's not, you know, us using conformity for conformity's sake. So we all, you know, look cool and everything. It's a safety margin that I understand how to operate your gear. And it might be something as small as I know where your backup mask is because it's always going to be in the left pocket. So if you're struggling and can't get that backup mask, I can help you, I know where it is. I don't have to remember that he likes to store it in his in his back pouch for whatever reason. But then you have that next layer where exactly today, I don't know how to actually work this thing. And now you have another layer of, of, of safety. So it was a good lesson we learned today, I think for sure in terms of just why we do standard gear configuration and the way that we do it. Well, and, and here's another point. I
1: think, you know, we're trying to uh, inflate these SMBs yeah. to the surface. I do not know what the problem with my bolt snap is. My bolt snap has a mind of its own. It does. If if it wants to open, it will open on its own. Yes. So I reach, I'm practicing my SMB. I reach into my, my bag, yeah. you know, my right pocket, because that's where you keep it. You haul all the stuff out by the pool, so, so you don't lose it and it doesn't get... And sure enough, what do I have? Out comes my SMB, completely like a eel. <laughs> it, it is completely unraveled in my pocket. I
2: thought you were I'm, trying to be efficient. You didn't decide uh, to do that on purpose? Yeah, that was a pro move.
1: That, that and in one move. That and, you know, I'm, I'm trying to reel it up. I can't reel it up. And this will happen to someone who wants to shoot their own SMB someday. They're gonna to try to drag it out of their pocket and they're gonna think they have it in their hand. And that little bolt snap's gonna have a mind of its own because they do. And that thing is going to go to the bottom of the ocean. And you're going to say, dang it, what happened? And you're going to have to say, oh, I know you have one of these SMBs because we are all rigged exactly the same. We've all went down the same. If, if mine doesn't work because I've, I've dumped my reel, well, whatever the hell you call it, I've, <laughs> I've dumped it overboard by accident because that's what happens then I know that I've got someone else in my team who'll yeah. take care of that. And I think there are, there's I don't know what the deal is with those bolt snaps. Someone's got to come up with better well, You know,
2: in, in terms of other people who could use this, I'm sure everybody listening to this doesn't think they, they could use it, but I would, I think probably everybody who's not a professional could definitely use an essentials class just for the practices and I think that was driven home because Wednesday night when I got here to San Diego, Paul and I went on YouTube and we we watched some little training videos that UTD's got on Then Thursday night we watched for kicks some more training videos and made his wife it annoyed at us because she had to watch training videos with us for forty-five minutes.
0: <laughs> but
2: last night we decided to type funny scuba, scuba videos into YouTube, and we did that for a little while. And then we, because we thought we were being funny, we typed in tragic scuba videos into YouTube. And there are there are more tragic scuba videos on YouTube than there really ought to be. And there's no doubt that every one of the people there was certified, and they all, I'm sure thought that they got good training and they thought they were proficient and before you knew it you know you had people who were drifting off you know their their dive guide said don't go below 70 feet and by the time somebody recovered them they're 168 feet taking pictures or thinking they were taking pictures when they forgot what they were doing and Mm. running out of air and 700 psi at that day yeah 700 psi at that, day, yeah, for oops. God's sakes! I mean, they—they—they. Yeah. They, all I can say is, thank goodness there were a lot of other people in the water so that they could share some air on the way up, and then a whole group of them ran out of air. But when you watch tragic scuba videos, if you type that into YouTube, you'll find a bunch of people who are like your friends and fi- friends and neighbors. Yeah. You know, they got certified, they're out having a good time, they're doing whatever on some boat or you know off some shore, and before you know
1: it. Yeah. You know, one person is headed this way, and somebody else is headed that Jay way. Jay is shaking here. He, he's a, having oxygen toxicity. Oh uh, right? yeah, I'm while talking about. I'm while we're a, listening to this. Let's take a small your break
0: because I have to pee, and then we'll come back. Uh. <laughs> All right, we're back. I have the bladder of a five-year-old, I think. <laughs> Sometimes, and to drink too many uh, too many diet cokes here. So I think it was a good discussion on. We we're talking about gear configuration and matching. I had a question for you to come back to. Which was, okay, because you came in pretty solidly, like you said, as a non-starter if uh, you had to use some other type of gear or buy gear or rent gear. So now, and I don't know the answer to this question, so I'm curious, now that you've kind of seen the whole kit and caboodle, why my opinion was what my opinion was when we had the Zoom call, kind of seen the the full kit and assembled, what is your take now in one, where are you going with your equipment, and two, do you wish that you had done it differently?
2: Sure, it's a good question. I would say that you would say, you have said that you think part of the problem that I was having with buoyancy was fifty percent my fault and fifty percent my equipment's fault. Sure. I'm not sure I'm not sure I agree or disagree because I'm not sure why it's the equipment's fault. I, I haven't haven't intuited enough about my equipment to understand why that particular setup would be causing that. Maybe that's a topic for another conversation. I think if I didn't own my own equipment, I would definitely go with the backplate and the wing, because it wouldn't be any more expensive than what I bought. Um, I mean, even when we got into this, and we had our first conversation, you know, Paul and I were talking about this, and he made the the comment at the same time, the the same military analogy, because his background is intelligence analysis and defense analyst. But... I mean, look, I understood that argument. If I didn't own my own equipment and I was going to buy equipment, sure, you know, you really have two choices. You can buy one of uh, probably a hundred different setups that are out in the marketplace. And look, most of those are going to be perfectly fine, you know, reputable manufacturers and good equipment. And, you know, most people aren't going to dive with the team. They just aren't. They're going to go off and do, I mean, this is the whole industry. This is the numbers, you know, the industry people talk about is. And It's like every other sport or activity. There's a lot of people who go out and get certified because they are going, you know, on some trip with their friends to the Caymans or the uh, Keys or somewhere, and so they want to do a couple of dives, and maybe they don't ever dive again in their life. And then there's you know some other people who do a second dive, and you know the number of people who have done fifty dives is probably. I'm just going to make this up, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's one one hundredth of the number of people who actually get certified. I'm sure there's a huge fall off. So, you know, most people out there have got some kind of different setup and that's usually perfectly fine. But everything else being equal, if you're going to buy gear, why not buy gear that matches the gear that people you are likely to dive with would, would match theirs? And then if you don't dive with them, like if I hadn't bought here and I went to buy a backplate and a wing now, and so I had the same setup as UTD has got, that there could only be upside, right? If I dive with Paul again and he's got one or he doesn't have one, at least he knows how his mind is set up. If I come back to San Diego and dive with you, you absolutely know how it's set up. If I dive with any other UTD diver, I'd be set up like that. But that doesn't hurt me if I go on another trip to Fiji or Bonaire or Honduras or I you know, decide to take a sailing trip around the world and dive in all these you know, places because then I'm just it, that setup is just another one of 100 or 200 different setups. I could have had anything, but it's it's not bad. It doesn't hurt. It can only have positive a positive upside to do that. And then if you run into somebody from GRE, their setup is going to be quite similar, right? So by going with the backplate and the wing idea and having the same setup with you with the long hose, the necklace, the whole bit, doesn't cost any more, and you have a greater chance of running into people who are familiar with that rig as opposed to just being one of 200 different things.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Now, Paul makes a good point. You know, if most of your diving is going to be the random dive trip, you go on a board for a week, or you go to Fiji with friends, or you know, we went to we went to the Caymans for Christmas. You know, a dive shop is going to pretty much have bought... They're not buying 100 different setups. It's not convenient for them. They buy one setup and they put everybody in it. So everybody on the boat has got it. Mm -hmm. So really, the sort of the two takeaways from that, let's call it the incident... Where the Paul and I didn't really talk about the equipment. If we had talked about the equipment in advance and I said, "Hey, this is how this works," knowing that we were going to do that drill, yeah. that's a failure on my part to mention it. It's a failure on Paul's part to ask me about it. I mean, he knows it was different. I knew it was different. But if we, if I'd had the same equipment, then we wouldn't have had to go through a second educational process on that. Sure. If we were off now, and if I took my, if if I take my rig in you know, my set-up my regulator of BC or Fiji and somebody else is on the boat who doesn't know me or even any of the people who are there and they got wow. rental equipment, then I did do that. I was like, hey, you know, let me just check out what you're doing in case something happens in the water and I made them check out mine. Mm-hmm. It's just weird that we did it there, but we didn't bother to do it here. But that would have happened regardless of whether I had my stuff and Scuba Pro stuff mm-hmm. and Halcyon stuff, or I had the DIR, uh, mm-hmm. the DIR setup, which could be anybody, but it's just set up in a certain way. Yeah. So if I was going to buy new equipment now, I would set it up like UTD does because there is no downside. Mm-hmm. There's. Maybe not much of an upside if I don't really dive with UTD divers much at all. But there's no downside. It's not any worse, certainly not any more expensive. And Mm -hmm. so I think if Paul were to buy gear, Mm -hmm. I mean, he doesn't take from Phil here, but I think if he were to buy gear, he'd probably get a backplate and wing like we had today for no other reason than why not? You know, it's just as likely to match up somebody else's gear. If it doesn't, then it's going to be one of 200 other different setups. Some other person's gonna have to get to know. Yeah. Answer your
0: question. Yeah. It's, no, I was curious how you were feeling about that because it's something we had discussed.
2: I mean, I I like my stuff. No, look, at, I I've got this eagle stiletto BC or yeah you know, BC and you know the the back and plate I think it's really pretty nice. It came highly recommended from people I know who build a lot and who've owned them. Uh, you know, I don't have all the long hoses, and you know we've had this conversation, if I'm only in the open water, am I ever going to need a seven-foot hose? Really, no, I'm not. Could I have a five-foot hose? Sure. Yeah. But I Could I live with a three-foot hose? Absolutely. But the whole backplate and wing thing? I mean, that would actually be a little bit easier to, to travel with than the one I've got. Yeah. Especially for the weighting. You, know, you don't have to carry as much weight because the weight's in the wing.
1: Yeah. In the
2: back um, and, I'm sorry, in the background. correct. Yeah. So, yeah, if I was going to buy new today, knowing what I know now, I would do that. But that, I'm not going to rush out and sell mine unless I get home and my wife says, how would you join? I say, it's great. And she's like, you know, I really think you should do a lot of diving, <laughs> which she hasn't said so far today.
0: So. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think the bigger point here to take home is that, you know, a lot of people think that DIR or UTD or whatever those sorts of things – is just all about the gear for the gear's sake, and and I think the point we're making with with all of this was no no no. There's a philosophy. There's a skill to diving. It doesn't matter what equipment you are in. In terms of you know the bare minimum. Yeah, we have to have a long hose. Yeah, we need to have a necklace. But you're in a jacket style VC, You're in a backplate wing. I was in doubles the whole time, and that's fine. Right, We can still train. It's not like because you didn't have the gear, you couldn't get any value out of... Oh, no, absolutely not. Not having the same gear didn't make the training any harder.
2: We can disagree about whether it made life more difficult for me, like having my 30-year-old golf clubs. Sure. Just, you know, if I had brand-new golf clubs, it'd be easier to play the game, but I still enjoy it with the old gear.
0: Yeah.
1: So I'd like to add a thought on this whole gear thing because, first of all, I'm a gear virgin. I do not own my own... Backplate, plate but, or in, wing but, but or in many PC. other things Paul is a gear head so uh, I have no like vested interest in any of like one path or the other but I will say just my observation yeah one night or one afternoon my brother says while we're on this little dive trip educational dive trip brother says why is this tank hanging off of me you know it's just not feeling right on my back and sure enough uh, the tank for whatever reason goes through the two can bands, but it is not vertical on his back. It is actually leaning off at maybe, I don't know, 20 degree angle. And he's he's getting kind of antsy about this and he's like why the hell is this happening and he's moving the thing up and down and back and forth and we can't figure it out and then we go home and we take it apart at night and we're you know flipping this and flipping that and, and steve is saying oh, i never touched this one and i didn't touch that one i did touch this one this is the only thing i did to it and you know we unfold something and there's this little flap and you know, we resealed the flap and we're like very confused, how could that little thing make all this difference? And we're having we're sitting on our my garage floor, not Jay's, thank god, because <laughs> Jay and his wife would have murdered us in the, in the garage having this debate about this stuff. And I'm going through my mind, I'm thinking, Oh, you know, we're taking apart this thing and it's kind of complicated. And there's a bunch of Velcro and there's a bunch of flaps and there's a bunch of layers, and any, you know, novice who looks at the actual equipment will say wow, you know, this is kind of complicated. I I don't want to own one of these things because you're thinking to yourself, gee, my brother just had this. It was working fine, just got back from a trip. Now, something's wonked out with it, and why? And I don't know what happened, but it's not wonked out anymore. But I'm sitting there thinking, what would I do? Because, you know, what what do I do when I want to go buy a car or, God forbid, I want to buy a handgun, you know, or a shotgun for shooting clay pigeons? Or anything you know I I think you know how complicated is the device how many moving parts are on this device you know where are the wear points and how is this device gonna last how easy is it to repair how costly is it to repair, and how essential is that piece to it? So, if you go buy yourself a really complicated handgun or shotgun because you let's, enjoy target shooting, let's stick
2: with cars, shall we?
1: Okay, <laughs> cars because people don't like shotguns and handguns. But whatever it is you plan to buy, you have to think these things through. So, you know, I we actually went years ago and bought my son a car. as a hybrid, and you know, they're they're giving me the we're going through the repair schedule, you know, maintenance and repair schedule. Thing. Man, these brakes don't need to be fixed or even checked for a hundred thousand miles. Brakes, hundred thousand miles, and I'm thinking to myself, man, I gotta go check my, I gotta have my brakes checked. You know, every every year, or every two years, and it's it's kind of amazing what happens when you begin to think about, you know, let's let's go find something that's going to be simple, it's going to be easy to repair, it's going to be easy to maintain. You know, you lay it down on the floor in your garage. You're not wondering like what are what is actually going on here? Like, we, we, we struggled really hard with this tank. Never really worked it out, but I walked away from it thinking, well, we fixed one thing, but I don't know. And what is really interesting about uh, Jay's garage is that simplicity is from beginning to end. When you start with the back plate, and if you ask, you know, if you say, Jay, I want to come do this essentials class or any class, and you don't have one of these things, say, hey, Jay, wink, wink, can I try... A wing and a backplate, because I've never tried it before. And if you get to his place like I did, and there is no wing and backplate, uh, it's not because Jay didn't prepare. He did prepare. He just hadn't assembled it. <laughs> but I'm looking at like this long, this long strap, this long two inch strap of you know like half a dozen little pieces of metal a couple of D-rings and this plate. And literally in 20 minutes, we went from having nothing to having something. And it's that simple. Yeah. And if something breaks on it, you can actually see it. You can see how the whole harness is set up. Yeah. And if you don't like something, it's really simple to move it around and there's no mystery to it. Sure. I mean, you're talking about literally a piece of nylon and a few pieces of metal that you know are not gonna break. Yeah. And this big steel backplate, which is definitely not gonna break. And the only thing that you actually might have to worry about is the buoyancy compensator or the inflator. Yeah but you have to worry about that on any on any device. Yeah. So, so basically the backplate, if you don't know what this is, the backplate is a big piece of metal and the wing is not really a wing, it's like a donut. Yeah. And the donut fits on top of this piece of metal. And then your tank sits on top of this donut. And the whole thing is is connected together. So, very very simple, very very easy to take apart, very very easy to repair and very very easy to adjust. So one of the things I discovered is that since we started with a brand new rig underwater, I was really kind of like wondering why it felt loose. Well, it's the nylon. You know, if you if you're working with brand new stiff nylon and you put it in water, it actually is gonna have a little stretch to it. Yeah. So you know, I'm, I'm working a little underwater trying to get it all set, but that is a lot easier to do than when I went and you, down you to Fiji. You did get it set. And I did get it set, it's a lot easier to do when I go down to Fiji. I got these two shoulder straps that I got to pull. I got a chest clip. I got a cummerbund, I got a waist strap, and then I probably have other things (laughs) that I don't know about that are adjusting the way the tank actually sits on my back and sits on the flotation device. In that circumstance, if I had trouble, I'm kind of sunk. I got to go back and just say, you know, give me something else. I I can't do this, and I can't actually trust a guy in a rental shop someplace in Fiji to say. Hey, come to the pool with me and we'll figure this out. Or let's just put it on your back and we'll figure this out. What they're going to do is they're going to say, You don't like that one? No, I I got like 10 more over here, right? If you don't like those, I got like 20 more around the back. But, you know, we haven't used those in five years. But, you know, you could try one of those. Yeah. So the as a guy who's just thinking about gear and my my particular thought on this whole thing is simple 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 uh, easy to repair easy to see and keep it as free of complications as you can and once you start with that and you want to add your own so you want to add your your flashlight, and you want to add your line cutter, and that kind of thing, or you know, some something simple to hold your hose in place so it doesn't go flying off and get caught on a rock. You can add those little pieces. They're all in compliance with UTD. It's the way they do things. Yeah. But if you start off with the the basic rig. You know you've got something that, gee, if you didn't like it, when you get back on deck, you can take it apart. Yeah. You can adjust the, the shoulder straps. You can say, my left one's a little bit too loose. My right one is a little bit too tight. Well, I got that one fixed.
0: Yeah. Good. So. Yeah, so I, I wanted to kind of maybe draw close to this with, with one uh, maybe bigger question. We'll start with you, Steve. What was your biggest takeaway from Essentials? And then on top of that, are you glad, regretful? whatever you feel, and again, we haven't scripted this out about, did, did you get the value you're expecting or more or less, or are you glad you took it? I mean, the floor's kind of yours, but what's the big takeaway?
2: Well, I mean, I guess I, I told you earlier that I got a lot out of it, but now I'm just going to tell our listeners that I was lying. I got nothing out of it. No, i <laughs> You know, like I said, you know, Paul and I are pretty good divers. And when you watch us in the water, we're not thrashing around. We're not doing all the kinds of things that would scare you away from diving with us. But, you know, we just thought we could be better. Like, you know, like any anything, we were kind of the way there and just decided we wanted to be a little bit better. And I think that, you know, my ability to be still in the water from a, both a buoyancy perspective of up and down as well as my thinning techniques and learning how to do that in a much more subtle and nuanced way without having big swinging wide kicks, you know, was much improved. And, you know, I hadn't really ever practiced with a SMB before. I'd done a rescue class with another agency, which, I, honestly, I... I've taken four other classes from specialty classes, a a buoyancy class, a rescue diver class, a navigation class, Uh, there's one more, Uh, uh, no, 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 I did the the advanced, but that was back in 85, Um, no, 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 uh, night diving. And honestly, I I got certified in all of those without any kind of problem, but it was, they were incredibly basic and honestly, I don't think I got my money's worth or time worth either out of those. I feel like I really did get my money's worth and my time worth out of this. I'm very glad we came and did it, and if we were going to do another class in this series... Oh, and just to be clear, Jade actually didn't pass us. Neither Paul or I have actually passed this class. What we did get was a PTC, which is the fancy term for path to completion. So, you know, where we actually don't neither of us met the standards for the finning techniques and the buoyancy and how to do all these things correct i mean we're pretty close we're pretty close um, yeah
1: i'm i'm finning techniques away no i gotta I, I get my backward and forward and backward and forward
2: yeah you're you're better than you think but but but
1: uh. i mean if
2: you saw us in the water you wouldn't think there was anything wrong with our diving because we're we're stable and we're not the kind of people who are like pushing people out of the way to see a piece of coral or we go to see the coral, and we can't
1: control ourselves, so we're banging into the reef and all that kind of nonsense. Well, let's talk about path to completion because this actually is a little bit different than in any other agency. Yeah. If you so. if you go and you get a PADI certification, they're going to give you a little card, send you this thing in the mail, say congratulations, you you now can kill yourself on a night dive. <laughs> right. But, but what Jay does, and this this is actually really cool. I, I was really impressed to hear him say this, and sort of thankful. He said, you know, Paul, here's what you got to do. You and and I know I, this is what I got to do. I want to be able to to fin my way to a wall. I want to be able to get up you know, within six inches or a foot or wherever it is I want to be. I want to be able to bring myself to a dead stop without going up or down, without going left or right, without using my arms to like to fend off the natural environment and then to be able to back off and to keep the same uh, depth and then to be able to go forward and then be able to go back and be able to go forward and be able to go back. And Jay says to me, right here at dinner, right before we started this podcast, and said, "Paul, you're doing really well, but that is the one thing you need to really demonstrate in order for me to give you a pass in this class. So you are, you have a path to completion now." That path of completion isn't that Jay and I have to go out and have you know three more dives where Jay, Jay's going to say, "Hey, let's practice some back kicks," no, or but, I'm
0: going to charge you, or another, he's going to charge oh, me oh, okay. three
1: hundred bucks to go do a bunch yeah. of back kicks, and yeah. I got to yeah. buy a bunch of air. What Jay says is, I'll go to your pool because I got one at home. Practice your back kicks in the pool. Practice your your going forward and backward. Try to work out this. If you're struggling with it, take a video and send it to me. And you know if you happen to be, I don't know." In Honduras or something like that, and you you take some video of you going back and forth five times, and you're looking good, and you're you know you're doing what's expected, you're in trim, uh, and you're in control. Then that's what you need to see in order to pass the class. And so it's this is a lot more than what you get with any patty class or any Maui class. You get actually a follow-on opportunity to say, hey, I know the things I got to work on, and Jay's still out there, and Jay's willing to take a look at my video and say, now if I was interested in passing. Jay would probably say, yeah, yeah, you're doing it right. That's great. You, pass. I'll, uh, you know, you've passed it to completion now. But in all honesty, Steve and I signed up for this class, and in all fairness, we never really intended to like work at this as if it is a patty thing where we're going to get a like, a, like a nitrox certification. What we went into it as is we could be safer, we could be more confident, and we could be more in control.
2: Yeah, because this class actually passing this class, and I use the air quotes for the benefit of our... Non-video listening podcast listeners doesn't get us anything. We we're not we, we don't get to go deeper. We don't get to buy different kinds of oxygen or nitrogen or helium or argon or anything like this. It, you know, it doesn't get us anything right. other than just being better at this. Now it's yeah. a prerequisite for other things that could get us deeper, other kinds of mixes, but. You know, this class itself is just a personal skills class. And I say just, I mean, it's a personal skills class, it's very valuable, but, you know, passing it doesn't get us a certification that allows us to do anything other than feel more comfortable. But people
1: are out there and they're saying, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I've gone through open water, or advanced open water, I did Patty 10 years ago, and, you know, my kids are grown up, all right, or, you know, my spouse left me and, you know, I'm looking to, you know, find a crowd of people who, you know, happy, good natured Really? Folks. Your spouse left me? And they all want to get together and have a a great, great time. You know, some people go running, right? We saw the UCSD track team run by. Um, If you want to go running, you want to, you know, go to the vineyards, or you can go scuba diving, guys. Go scuba diving. And you'll find some nice people, and you think to yourself, you know, it's been 10 years. I just, oh, man, it's a lot of work. And, well, you know, call Jay, because I I swear, (laughs) in four days, you'll go from what you thought you could never be to more than what you thought you could be.
2: And and I will say that Paul and I are the very tail end of the boomer generation, so his comment about your kids are finally in, you know have left the house isn't really aimed just at the boomers, but rather but in addition, you know, millennials and Gen Z. I mean, basically, anybody who's a diver would probably benefit from this class, unless you're
1: already am- have got amazing control. Steve is full on in the inclusion. I know, hey, too. Yeah, yeah. It. No, he's right. He's right. In fact, that anybody would 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 benefit from this. But you know, for I don't know what the I know that that we did, and we didn't really start this thinking that there was some mountain to climb. I, I sort of figure this is more of a journey
2: well, and rather, we rather we than a mountain And decline. we didn't really start this with the expectation there was any kind of prize involved in it either. This yeah. was, this was yeah. more of a, we knew this was going to be practice for personal skills. And what we would get out of it, if we did get anything out of it, was be to be much more competent in the water with better personal skills. And I think yeah. that's where we are. And, you know, the fact that there's, you know, the fact that you can even pass is nice. It's not critical. And the fact that we have a path to completion, maybe we will... Someday complete that because I
1: don't have a goal.
2: But even if we never do, I mean, even if we never spoke to Jay again, we will speak about this four days as very highly because it has been very. It was been has ordinary. it
1: been the best scuba experience for learning that I've ever gone?
0: Through. Yeah, same thing. That's good to hear. Yeah, and I think there's a point too that you're making, and and I'll and I'll commend you as well. That, but next time we're on the podcast, we want swag. Oh, absolutely. Oh, okay. oh, you, got a, you got a sticker. <laughs> That's yeah, about all that exists. We did get stickers. Producer Daniel. No, I'm kidding. Um, so, yeah, we're just Daniel anyways. Uh, in Austin, Texas somewhere. Oh, my God. You just sit at home doing nothing yeah. like that. So, but I, but I, want to, I want to say, too, that, that the fact that you came into this thinking that this is about me getting better from a skilled perspective is also acknowledging prima facie before that, that there are skills to diving you guys are pretty experienced divers as you, as you, you know, relative to the industry. And you look at that, and, and this is a really important point, is that, yeah, Essentials, I think it's amazing that you come to take a class to get better at your skills. It doesn't get you more gas or get you deeper, all those things. But it, it also goes back to an even more foundational thing, which I think Essentials helps us separate the scuba from the diver. And that's one of the things that I don't think we talk enough about, which is to say that, that look, scuba is the self-contained underwater breathing apparatus. Absolutely. That's the gear diving or the diver is the diver there's a skill to diving there's a skill to technique there's a technique to fitting technique to to breathing all of these sorts of things It's not like we spent four days just sitting there saying here's how to the technique of breathing put all that together so essentials is a really nice way to to work on the diver yeah we worked on some scuba in terms of gear configuration and standardization those sorts of things but scuba is not about the gear it's about the diver there's a skill to it so again i think that what I saw from you guys, and I've communicated this to you, is a, is a big leap in your skills. But it wasn't, as we talked about at the very beginning of the course, it's not about perfecting the skills right now. It's about learning how to go home and practice them. So even if you were to pass, quote unquote, right, it's still, you, I would tell you the exact same thing. Now go get experience. Go use them. Go utilize the skills because just like any skill will deteriorate. Over time, sure, absolutely, and so that I think that that's a really important point that you S- made. Is
2: skiing is a better example for me. You know, yeah, I, I ski a lot, but if I were if I stopped skiing for five years, my skiing when I picked it up again wouldn't yeah. be the same as it was last
0: year, where right. I got a lot of days in. Yeah, and now you have a bunch of new skills. Or I I wouldn't say new. I think you now understand what the proper technique or skill is. Well, the good and thing how is how to do yeah, it. Yeah,
2: the good thing is I can use. I mean, I could practice these same skills by getting in a pool or coming back to La Jolla Shores and running a tank and. Just going out and going back and forth under, you know, just practicing that skill and doing nothing sure. else. But, I mean, the skills we learned or we practiced, not learned, but you know, relearned and practiced and really tuned, are the same ones that you use in any dive from the time you enter the water to the time you're out of the water. So, even if the only thing I ever do is no practicing, but just dive. continue my, you know, going on dive trips like we have been, I will be practicing these same skills on every dive. Because... You've got to kick somehow. You might as well do it in the most efficient, proper fashion. Absolutely. You're going to have to have some kind of buoyancy. You might as well have the right kind of buoyancy and you know, be neutral and be able to breathe your way up and breathe your way down without having to flail your arms around. You know? yeah. So.
0: yeah, that's good. That's good Now, Good. What was your big takeaway from, from the so course? My big, and you away, my big takeaway, well, first of all, I, I
1: would I do this class again? Well, I mean… That, that's not the sure. where...
2: When did you do this class again? Our <laughs> no. listeners
1: want to know. Uh, yeah. Uh, our listeners want to know. I, I would do this class again, but I don't think I would for it. Twice.
0: No, no. So <laughs> the, the, the better question is not would you do it again now that you've done it once. is oh, okay. more. Had, you... had
1: I known what this class was... Would you suggest that your wife does it? There you go. Yes, yes. I would suggest that my wife does it. Yes, I would suggest my wife and daughter and, do it as well. And I do think that had I known what this class actually is like... I probably would have wanted to do this ten years ago. Mm. I think it, I think it was uh, you know you only get to live once in life, and if you wait to the end, and I'm not at the end, guys, uh, but if you wait, then you're giving away you're giving away time, and time is the only thing you've got in this world. So, it, and it's the only thing you can control, and and you don't know when it ends. So my advice is, if you think that there's uh, an opportunity, if you really say I want to be a uh, you know reasonably good, safe, confident diver, and I want to be. Uh, good partner to, to to whoever you're diving with if you're diving in a team or you're diving with your wife uh, okay. then do this class and I should have done it 10 years ago wife and, husband boyfriend girlfriend wife husband boyfriend well I'm yeah cut, I'm cut married so, you know. so my wife
0: I'm <laughs> going down another pathway here hey I actually saw a cat and a scuba thing on
1: some YouTube thing I'm sure it if you spend chill. enough time on YouTube you see all kinds of words. So, oh, so. so actually I wanted to add one other thing because we never really discussed it and it kind of flustered me to begin with and it kind of made me scratch my head because I got this computer and I got these dive tables from Nawi, and then I got the paddy dive tables and then I've you know I've done my dive planning and I'm doing you know side a and I go to you know table one I go to table two and then I flip it over for my next dive and I go down that one and I think oh, I got this and that and next and, and I'm doing my math and I'm thinking you know uh it is as, as I get older I think oh my god I've, i kind got to go back through all these damn dive tables you know if I'm going to do dive planning and then no man they got these computers just buy one they do the dive tables for you so I'm thinking okay I'll buy a computer I actually I actually like my computer I can see this this question is going to lead to episode 3 yeah I think perhaps so. this, this actually this dive computer I really like well tell people what it is because it's a Sunto D5 nice and it, I think it's similar to the Suunto Eon and when you set say Suunto, Neon? Suunto Neon Eon Eon okay and when you set it for deep stops it immediately takes 50% of your depth and gives you a deep stop mm. So I actually like my dive computer because it follows at least initially the philosophy that UTD has, which Mendico. Which is called Mendico, which is the philosophy yeah. of organizing your decompression. Every dive, whether you realize it or not, is a decompression dive, meaning that you're on taking nitrogen as you go down, so you gotta get rid of it as you come back up. Now you can come back up in a minute from hundred feet. And you can have big bubbles and end up in the hospital or you can come back up in like seven or eight minutes or nine minutes. Whatever you, whatever you need um, or whatever you feel fits your physiology actually as long as you follow this particular strategy. And the nice thing is my computer actually starts my strategy because hmm. I don't actually have to keep track of my depth. If I have my computer turned on to function as a computer, it's going to tell me when my deep stop is. It doesn't do the, the rest of it. Mm. So the rest of it is uh, this thing called Mintico, and it has to do with how people off-cast nitrogen. And from what I can tell, being the, the non-philosopher here, or maybe the non-scientist, because it seems to me, and I may get this wrong, that almost all the models, the Buhlmann model or the, the reduced gradient bubble model, seem to follow the same general path of decompression. They use different analytical methods for getting there and different math. Um, but it's essentially generally the same curve, probably with generally the same error. Um, degrees of error as you go. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm gonna to have to plan. So, so Jay gives me this task. He's, I'm gonna, before we start this class, you gotta plan these two dives. And plan it using the strategy that UTD uses. So we have a worksheet, and being an older and wiser man, I go through the worksheet. Uh, and it immediately sort of becomes clear something that I don't think any diver who's a PADI or a NAWI diver uh, would recognize and that is that, uh, you know, you, you get taught in naui and PADI when you go down, you gotta do this buddy breathing if you need to if somebody's regulator's out and you only have one regulator you don't have a backup and everything's gonna be fine you know, you're at 100 feet, everything's cool you know, you've been down there for 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes and you're kind of at the limit. you got to start up. And you think, oh, well, we'll just share because we got this problem. Everything is cool. Well, if you're down there at the bottom for 20 minutes. At a depth of 100 feet. At a depth of 100 feet. Do you really have enough gas for two people to get back to the surface safely? Mm-hmm. And the answer is probably not. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that UTD does and one of the things that I was challenged with in this class was, first of all, I had to go and do this math, which was interesting for me. You know, I, I like the physics and I like the and all that. And I worked out my plan, and Jay's like, oh, you did this wrong on your plan. Cool. You know, I I got some education there. But I think the thing that I realized is that a lot of the diving I've done, you know, like the 80 feet, there's two of us. You know, we're down there for quite a while. Maybe we shouldn't have been at 80 feet for quite that long because there's actually two of us. And if I'd had a problem or my wife had had a problem, we might not have been able to get to the surface. So
2: I think what you're describing is what they call rock bottom. Yeah. The concept the, that you need enough gas to get two people home. Yeah. And get the car so, to this go. Is, so, this
1: yeah, is that. where UTD says, well, we got this idea of rock bottom gas, which means that if you're diving with a partner or you're diving in a team and one of your people has a problem, that you don't want to create two victims out of one. So, the first victim is the one with the air problem. The second victim is the one who says, I've got air, but gee, I can't give it to you. Or, I'm going to give it to you and cross my fingers and hope that we're both all right. So the concept of rock bottom is that you're going to end up at the end of your dive, if you've planned it well, with a certain amount of gas left that um, you will not have used because that gas was your insurance policy to come home alive with the people that you went out with.
2: Well, that so it brings that, you home alive, but it brings you and somebody else who doesn't have yeah. any home from the worst part, of the longest, work,
1: par- longest, deepest part of the dive. Right. So if you actually get through the longest, pe- deepest part of the dive and you're back all the way up at... 20 feet, cruising around on the top of the reef, looking at all the octopus. Mm-hmm. You know, you might be cool to burn it off to 500 psi, right? Or 50 bar. And that's that's cool because you know at 20 feet, you're and you've been you've been cruising around there for for five minutes. You're cool, right? I mean, you wouldn't shoot to the surface, but you know, you got what two minutes to get up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're probably fine. But you know, you're. I think one of the interesting things about the class was this realization that we never really. I mean, we talked about, mentioned it a couple of times. Jay brought it up and he said, he "said you know, I Jay said, you know, there are probably dives I did. I should not have done. And I'm thinking, okay, this is my instructor saying, like, he, he messed up. You know, maybe this is something I should listen to. And then I then I got to thinking, you know, we actually did, in Fiji, we did two dives in a row. Both were 60 feet. Both were about 30 to 35 minutes. I mean, we were really close. When, when you, and we did them back-to-back. We were really close to being in a decompression situation, mm. and you know, if we had had a problem on the second dive at sixty feet, would we have had enough gas to get back? Mm-hmm. The we answer were, is probably not. Actually, you were just breathing heavily because of all the sharks. Yeah, we yeah we were being swarmed by sharks, but that which is great dive. But uh, your heart
2: does go faster.
1: Yeah, you're you're starting back up after this great dive, and you get to the top, and you think, you know, Jay sends me this worksheet, and I think, oh, you know. That's actually a prescription for disaster because there will be someone who does that die who's going to have their, they're going to be down on the bottom at the 20 minute mark or 25 minute mark and their regulator is going to break. Mm And then what? Are they going to have to share some share with one partner, and then say, "Hey, hey, hey, let me find somebody else to share with because my partner doesn't have enough air for, for her to be safe to get to the surface." Uh, we just so, saw we saw this last night when we
2: were watching tragic super videos on YouTube. You know, yeah. people who people who clearly didn't
1: plan to have enough gas to get home, and certainly not enough gas to get somebody else on. Yeah, so. I will say, I think actually one of the more interesting things about this class uh, that we haven't really touched on, because it was mostly skills and did we enjoy it and all, but boy, there's a little intellectual uh, learning that goes on here. And when you when you realize that there's actually a better way to think about it, and I will tell Jay, I told him before, I'm not going to give up my computer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if it beeps and makes, makes noises and stuff, I'm going to rationalize what I hear to what I know as best I can. Jay says, be careful about doing that, because sometimes you're gonna go into program mode, the computer's gonna go into program mode, and then you follow into program mode. Without thinking. Yeah, then all of a sudden you're a slave, yeah. instead of a thinking diver. So I get that. You know, My advice is don't ignore the computer because the computer is another model that will, that that does something for you. But what it doesn't do is it doesn't plan your rock bottom, doesn't tell you how much air you have, it doesn't really account for the air. And that's a huge part of dive planning that I think uh, Jay and UTD have added in, which is an advantage really a critical advantage to doing this kind of training over just going in and let us saying well let me do the patty refresher course I think the patty refresher course might be nice if you if you want to like practice breathing on a regular in a pool but this one will actually get you to think oh okay if I'm gonna go to 60 feet and I shouldn't uh, you know it's my second dive I probably shouldn't say 20 at the bottom because I'm, I'm already loaded and you know, i better shorten that and I better this is my my decompression schedule for my stops going up. Mm. Now I'm not gonna go through all that here because that's yeah I don't totally. want to confuse you. But yeah. um, but I think the larger point you're it's making definitely good. worth going through. Yeah, I think the
2: larger point Paul is making is that you know if you think of spending an hour with two guys who are experienced divers like on the Great Dive podcast and you you know you sit there and listen to them talk about diving and you walk away and you're like wow I learned a lot. You know we've been with Jay now somewhere between forty and forty eight hours maybe you know across the four days 8 of those hours 10 of those hours were in the water we've done a huge amount of talking about diving you know all kinds of things decompression recompression hyperbaric chambers you know equipment and hoses and bag plates and wings and dry suits and just like all the kind of little minutia that you if you were sitting there talking to people who are experienced divers you'd walk away from and say wow that was a really interesting hour so, you know, the personal skills have been great. That's why we came and we got a lot out of it. But I would say that, you know, the other 30 hours that we've had conversations and, and the video review in the evenings and all the rest of it has been in many ways equally valuable and equally educational. Because yeah. otherwise, you know, all we do is, you know, Paul and I say, oh, let's go diving. We plan a dive trip and then we go do the dive trip. But we're not really sitting around with people who are really know diving and chatting with them about it. We're usually uh-huh. making things up when we talk to each
1: other about it and then trying to look it up in Wikipedia. And, and, and I, think a, I think there's a shift in the way we think. So but we have to wrap this up, Jay. We have, we have to wrap this up. No, Jay. You're fine. You yeah. keep going so, as
0: long as you want. So I think I
1: there's think okay. kind of a shift that takes place in the thinking. <laughs> this is I, I think questions. now, so Jay said, our last dive, I want you guys to plan this dive. So immediately my eyes glaze over and my, like the computer and my brain starts. We're gonna to go to 60 feet, we're gonna swim out, we're gonna go down to this canyon, there's gonna be all these cool things, we're gonna motor around and then we're gonna come back. I want you to plan a dive to 60 feet, you know, and plan your decompression schedule when you come back up and how much time you wanna be on the bottom and think about what your rock bottom's gonna be. So I'm going through this in my head, and you know what the really funny thing is? You can almost do this in your head. I mean, like, it probably is easier to pull out a pencil and a paper just to confirm that your math is right, because I I don't do this all the time. But my first thought was, gee, this is actually a pretty valuable exercise. So if I get on a boat now, and someone says, well, we're going to go out to uh, a 60-foot dive, you know how deep can you stay before you hit a no decompression limit? Well, it's going to be sixty minutes, right? And if I have to have rock bottom, how much gas do I need to have for my wife? Because I, I do want her to come back. I do have an insurance policy, but I still want her to come back. <laughs> so so nice of you. I know. So, but in my head, I can work. I'm beginning to be able to see this approach to starting my dive. And I'll tell you what the dive masters on the boat will probably say. They'll probably say, "We're going to." Here's my whiteboard. or I'm going to crumple up a bunch of towels and, you know, make my reef and we're going to start here and we're going to end over there and we're going to go on this little circuitous path and we're going to go through this swim through and we're going to motor around here. It's going to take us 20 minutes here and then 30 minutes there and then uh, anybody who hits half a tank, hit that T sign on your hand and, uh, you know, we'll all do the turnaround and everybody gets to come back all at once and here's what I'm going to think. I'm going to think, okay, I got, we're going to go to 60 feet. I've got, you know, 60 minutes with no decompression limit. That doesn't mean I've got rock bottom. So if I, how far am I going to be able to get out there, and how much gas do I need to have to, to bring my wife back? Or for her to bring you back. Or for her to bring me back. We're assuming she wants and to bring you back. She might. She might not. But what will happen is you know, if I hit that point in my dive, I'm ready to shoot my SMB, even if I'm far away from the boat, and I'm ready to say, Sonny, we got to go to the surface, because we're at a point where we need to... We need to, to, you know, either get up higher so we get more, no, no decompression limits, and I can extend the gas, and we can swim around at 20 feet, uh, or we're out of here. And I can do that now, and I can do that on my own, knowing that I'm not going to have a problem. And that's a different way of thinking about diving than almost all the other dives I've done, which is, you know, and most of them are safe. I mean, there's, you know, we're, it's, it's not that they're unsafe, it's just that for me, a a measure of comfort and safety and confidence in being able to know is better than listening to the guy in the boat. Uh, And really, if you you all want a very interesting tale of what happens when you listen to an expert, you should go out to Netflix and watch this video called Vakari. It's about a volcano that blows up in New Zealand. Mm. And these people are out on this, you know, everybody, oh, it's a volcano, you know, there's no danger. What there's, and they all get on there. There's you know, some trepidation. some reluctance. There's some worry, but you know, and they all know it. I mean, it's, it's not like they don't know this is a volcano, and they and they know the thing blows. It's been blowing, you know, occasionally, every now and then. And everybody knows it, and yet, and yet, they've got these people who are telling them that this is safe. This is how we do it, and they all are led into this path of thinking this is this is cool. This is fine, until it isn't really cool and fine anymore, you know, and. Um, you know, we don't want that to happen in scuba. No. And I can tell you, this can happen in scuba. You, you get on a boat and the, the dive master says, we're down for 60, you know, we're not we're not gonna stay under under any more than uh, 60 minutes, we're gonna go to 60 feet max. And when you get back on the boat, you're probably gonna be at what, 500 PSI or 50 bar. And you're gonna think, ooh, I got out of there. You no, know, that was a great dive. It was a great dive. Probably was a really great dive. Could have been a really tragic <laughs> dive because if something had happened halfway through, you're at the furthest distance from the boat and you're at that limit and, and something happens, a piece of equipment fails, or you know, diver panics, mm-hmm. you lose your mask, and you know, you get panicky, you feel like you gotta to go to the surface. And all of a sudden, you know, you're thrashing around, you got this emergency. Mm-hmm. And I you can see it on the videos on YouTube, the diver panics. I don't know what they're thinking, but they kick that regulator out of their mouth. Yeah. And you know, it's like they something, some internal program goes off that says, kill me here and now. Mm. And if you end up with that problem and you're stuffing your extra regulator, the one that you pull out of your mouth, you stuff it into your wife's mouth, you are saving her and you, and you have done the right plan. And not that my wife would panic, but, you know, this is an example. Sure. You know, you're at that point, you're well-trained, you're calm, you know what you're supposed to do. You get it out there, you give it to them, you know, you put it in their mouth and then you, you know, check your depth, you check your buoyancy, you check your, your pressure, how much air you have, and then you plan your exit and you
0: make your ascent and you're safe yeah and you're you're making a really important point too in in the sense that you know dive planning sometimes we start dive planning or i think it's smarter to start dive planning with the exit in mind and most people start dive planning with the whatever you're going to go do in mind right the reef that you see the towels and the this swim through and all that stuff all that's great but you want to start by asking how do we get home safely if something goes wrong at the most inopportune time once we have that great now let's figure out which swim through we want to go through and where we want to go this and what we want to do that because now we know we have peace of mind we can get home safe right and i think that you're demonstrating a really important point that you plan with first and, and from everything our equipment computer configuration a dive plan all the things that we're doing on how to get home safe first and when we're doing that then it opens up endless opportunities for us because to enjoy the dive because we're not in that spot we're like phew made it home like I'm lucky this time you know I made it home with 250 PSI you know no one will really tell you but wink wink everyone out there you probably have been back on a boat with 250 PSI before right and do you even know what 500 PSI looks like in terms of how much cubic gas that is if you had to share that at what depth would that get you home these are things we can know they're knowable yeah right and when we know them it gives us that peace of mind so dive planning with the end in mind, how we get out safely, is consistent from day one with with our training, and I think it's really important. So, yeah, I, I think it's so interesting to have to be on a
1: dive boat. You go out and you, you you climb up on the dive on the back of the dive boat, and you know you sit down, you wait, and you know five minutes later, ten minutes later, fifteen minutes later, people are showing up, and you're like, wow, I was down for 59 minutes, I went to 101 feet, you know, and all this stuff, and it's like you know. I mean, in my mind, this isn't like an Olympic race, mm-hmm. right? You don't have to go to 101 feet. You don't get a prize or a medal for it for going over your decompression limit, right? You don't get a prize. Yeah. In fact, if anything, you you get the anti-prize. Yeah. And you don't get a prize for staying down 59 minutes because, because, you know, you were able to exhaust your gas down to 200 PSI. Right. You, there is no prize for stupidity right. you know the, the prize well there, would, is. Oh, there, is. there <laughs> is
2: you've never heard of the Darwin Awards <laughs> yeah. yeah
1: well I'm, I, I guess what I'm what I want to conclude with and this is really my thought is I think actually the, the planning the way of thinking about decompression and just it's kind of changed the way I think when, mm-hmm. uh, you know I, I will think now when I think about a dive the very first thing that's going to go through my mind is well how deep are we going and how long do we want to be there and then how much gas? Now, honestly, we're all probably using the same cylinders. We probably all have the same or very similar pressure when you, when you check your tank, uh, all important things to do. But if you start with those two things in mind, you will be a lot safer diver. And if you have a good decompression schedule for, for coming back up, even on a no decompression dive, you will find yourself healthy and happy, probably, unless you know, something else is going on, and, uh, and as safe as you can be underwater.
2: But if you're not going to be those things, make sure somebody's videoing you so you can be on YouTube. come <laughs> <laughs> this crazy.
0: Yes. <laughs> well, good. Well, Paul uh, Wasid. Paul and uh, Staring Wasid. <laughs> Paul and Steve. Thank you. Uh, it's been a fun four days getting to know you guys and and getting trained with you guys. And uh, who knows? Maybe Paul and, and Steve will be back on the show at some point and talk about where you are months from now how's it going what stuck out what do you still remember probably give us a year yeah Yeah, i know well you're you have spawned this is your podcast now so you got to publish next week so uh (laughs) but good any parting last thoughts before we we hang this one up
1: uh well just a huge congrats to jay so happy i am so happy i'm not i'm really happy that you were so flexible with me not having anything at all i mean in terms of in terms of gear yeah no no gear to speak of and you know it's nice to be able to slide in and you know, be that guy who's got nothing and yet gets really taken care of. You know, really well. I, I do appreciate it, I, and I appreciate the education, and learning, all of it. Good. so Thanks. Yeah, absolutely.
2: I guess I would just end with you know, I'm not going to congratulate Jamie I mean, after after all, we're the ones who paid him. Um, <laughs> but I will say that uh, I got more than I paid for. <laughs> yeah, my my hopes were that this would be valuable. My expectations were that it would be mostly valuable, and it's exceeded my expectations. I'm really happy I did this. We learned a huge amount, had great conversations, got a lot of practice in. Now we know how to practice these things better ourselves, and Jay's uh, a great resource. So you'll be you'll be getting questions from us over time that we will not be paying you for, but <laughs> <laughs> that you offered. So that's on, that's on you now. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And maybe even some video. There you go. Yeah. Some so video thanks video. so much. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Uh, if you're interested in joining an Essentials class or talking more about your diving, you can reach me, Jay, J-A-Y, at utdscuba diving.com it's J at utdscuba diving.com and I hope you come back and listen to the next episode of The Dive Table The Dive Table is a production of Fish Dive Surf Incorporated and a member of the Fish Dive Surf Podcast Network you can find out more at www.fishdivesurf.com